Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I'm joined as usual by my good friend in the virtual studios in South Bend, the man whose seminal work, Zeitschrift Old Testament Lichterwissenschaft, is being made into a movie. The one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing? I can't even I can't even pronounce that, let alone uh, figure out what the uh, screenplay would look like. Okay, uh, you've intrigued me, Deacon. I know that it has something to do with the study of the scriptures. Yes, it's basically the, the German scripture study in, in Old Testament. Okay, so, Old Testament. Yeah, Zeitschrift Old Testament liegt there as opposed to New Testament liegt there. So oh, Old see? and New Testament. So <laughs> Okay, that's good. That, it's a compelling story, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's the story of salvation. You know? so. That's right. Have, have you, uh, by the way, this is a question because I know it's come up uh, in, in my coworkers are talking about it. I've not yet watched any episodes of this very popular show, The Chosen. Is this something that uh, that you've seen or know much about well, at all, Deacon? The thing is, I don't, I don't watch television. So I've, sure. I mean, I've seen the only episodes I've seen, but I don't think I've seen a full episode is when I'm staying in rectories during like parish mission, something like that. Now, like yeah. just to have some fraternity, I'll watch a little television with the priest. And there's been a couple of times where the priest was watching the chosen. So I watched, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, like I said, I only think I watched a full episode of it then, or on uh, sometimes on uh, social media, you'll see clips or excerpts from different scenes and things like that. But yeah, no, I've not, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing good things about it, but uh yeah, I hear I hear good things too, and and uh, um, I guess uh, I'm probably should should take a moment. I mean, I know you normally have your fingers on the pulse of the popular culture, Deacon. So I mean, it's not like I'm revealing anything to you, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm interested in in um, uh, seeing. I know that they had a big Christmas uh, kind of uh, show that actually was aired in theaters and things like that, and that the reaction to that and the number of people turning out for it surprised uh, a lot of a lot of uh, people um, outside of kind of the the Christian uh, world, and so um, and that's the sort of thing you know that we want to see. We want to, we want people to share the, the joy of the gospel, the, this experience, the encounter with Christ himself. That's obviously why you and I are pleased to chat each week here on living stones, but, um, all, there are lots of different entry points, lots of different ways to introduce people to the story of Christ and to the to that beautiful story of salvation history, as you mentioned, even if it's in German or even if it's uh, in uh, on the big screen or the small screen. So lots of entry points. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I think the more points of entry we have, I think the deeper our intimacy is with, with the Lord because he, he's yeah. coming at us from so many different directions you know and the good thing about something like the chosen it may appeal to someone who really would not have even taken a second look at christianity right or or, or the faith or cared about jesus at all i think yeah. so it could it, it could make a, a case for someone to just introduce them to who jesus is right and it's so important that the the various ways that we portray the lord be not only authentic to the story 
authentic to you know to the gospel stories that we've received the the great traditions but also that they be beautifully done and that they be themselves edifying in a way uh, because you know we need to appeal to people um, aesthetically because God is the creator of beauty itself as well as with the content and so um, I know so many times uh, you see media, you know, kind of Christian movies and things like that. And they're just sometimes just not very good and they're not very edifying. And because of that, you're like, oh, is this the best we can do? We really should be putting our best foot forward. I know you and I have had wonderful conversations when we read together Pope John Paul II's letter to artists in which the Holy Father encourages artists to and Christian artists to be the absolute best at what they do. Because that is, again, that beauty is something that grabs people's attention and something that will invite them into a deeper exploration of the truths that uh, of the faith and the truths of our salvation history. So this is what uh, uh, I hear good things about The Chosen, and uh, I need to watch it myself, but, uh, but I know people that have watched it that normally are kind of have a jaded eye will say, wow, it's really quite good. So I guess, right. guess I may have to take a moment. Yeah, I'll take it. Check it out myself, too. Cool. Well, Deacon, we have been reading together The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church, a document written by our United States Catholic Bishops Conference to encourage us to a deeper appreciation for the beauty of the Eucharist, which is the source and summit of our Christian life. And we are in the second part of this document, picking up our conversation tonight with paragraph 44. This whole second section of the document is is our response to the gift of the Eucharist. So the first half was really, or the first portion of the document was was all about what the mystery of the Eucharist itself. And then this second portion is how we respond to this great gift that God has given us. And paragraph 44 is a section beginning called conversion, in which how we personally respond to the Eucharist. You know, some people may ask, why another document about the Eucharist? You know, um, and, and, and it's true. I mean, popes have written about the Eucharist and uh, the Bishop's Conference has written on the Eucharist before. Right. Uh, in fact, I have a I have a um, a pamphlet. It's like a, a trifold kind of a thing where they talk um, where they talked about the Eucharist kind of summarized in question and answer format, which mm-hmm. which is actually was very well done. And uh, but but why again? You know, that's the, the beautiful thing and the timelessness of our faith. You know, we talked about before, you know, you talked about the chosen as one of the many angles or ways in um, that God makes into our lives, into our hearts. And coming out of the pandemic, I think it was very timely, actually, that we have a document on the Eucharist, especially given the fact that we've talked about this before, you know, that the Pew studies and Kara studies have shown that many Catholics don't believe Jesus is present in the Eucharist. So this is not just another document on the Eucharist. This is a a way of of really deepening and appropriating our belief in who Jesus is and what that means for us in our everyday lives. So we're we're not just reading this document just to, you know, uh just to kind of wax poetic about the Eucharist. What we're doing is helping people to understand how Jesus is coming into our lives, informing and shaping our lives to becoming more and more like him. And so the second part of the document it's beautiful because now it's talking about how do we practically, in a in a what I call, uh, and I've coined the term by the way, living eucharistically. Mm. You know, and I know I coined that term because every time I put it in my 
documents, the spell checker tries to correct it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, I've never heard of this word before. Right. Uh, and so and so in um, paragraph 44, we're talking about conversion, you know, this uh, this idea of conversion, and which is Greek and metanoia the, in Greek or shub in Hebrew, um, which literally means to turn your mind around, to turn your mind around. So in the Gospels, it talks about metanoia, like a, a change of direction. So in the prodigal son, he's moving from the pig pen back to the father. He's literally changing the direction. And that was Jesus' point. You know, he's right, making a point right. that when you when you convert, you are moving from one, you're doing 180. You're going from one direction to the completely opposite direction. Um, and, and so in order to have a deep sense of uh, who Jesus is in the Eucharist and how that impacts our lives, it has to start with this idea of repentance and conversion, because our hearts can't receive Christ if they're filled with anger or hatred and resentment, which turns us away from Christ. We have to be open to receiving everything that Christ wants to give us in the Eucharist. So we have to acknowledge that and work to crucify those things within us that separate us from, from God's love. Absolutely. the uh, As they say, we need to continually heed Christ's call to conversion. This is necessary since we are all sinners and sometimes fail to live up to our vocation as disciples of Jesus and to the promises of our baptism. Um, and then they go in here uh, in paragraph 45 to speak about how um, sin damages the communion that we share with one another and with God and the fact that the Eucharist itself heals sin. As it says, uh, venial sins, which are those that do not deprive the sinner of friendship with God or of sanctifying grace, venial sins are not to be taken lightly, but they do not destroy communion because they do not destroy the principle of the divine life in us. So in Catholic moral theology, of course, we, we draw a distinction between the sins that kill that divine life within us, that close us off to God's sanctifying grace by our choice, and then those sins that wound but don't kill that divine life within us. And those are those ones that do kill it are called mortal for that very reason. But it is the Eucharist, indeed, as they say, indeed, the reception of the Eucharist strengthens our charity and wipes away venial sins while also helping us to avoid more serious sins. So not only is the Eucharist, as Holy Father Pope Francis has described it, a, a medicine for us and it heals us, but it also is like a vitamin shot as well. This is, of course, a, a terrible analogy, but it's like a vitamin shot that strengthens us so that we can be stronger to fight against future sins as well. Um, and it says Pope Francis brought attention to this medicinal character of the Eucharist uh, when he said, it's not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. And we can also always fall into the other error to the, in which we say, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't need to worry about about this. I can save myself. And that's called Pelagianism. And it says, uh, Pope Francis warns us against the Pelagian error of forgetting our constant need for grace and thinking that living a holy life depends on our own force of will. I can't will myself to be good without God's grace. I can't, and then I can't actually follow through on that without the constant gift of God's grace. And that's what the Eucharist is. It's that feeding, that nourishment on my Christian journey. Yeah, it's more, because this Pelagian thing is, is kind of like um, what we see in our culture today. You know, all I have to do is just be a good person, kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, I don't need rules or commandments. I just have to be good. 
you know, just because I'm a God. I mean, whoa, hold on, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, what was they say? No one but but God is good, right? Right. Because <laughs> right. what he's saying. Why do you is, call is, me good? Good teacher. Only God. Yeah, is yeah, good, good teacher. Yeah. yeah, and what he's saying actually is Jesus is not questioning whether he's God or not. That's the mistake that a lot of people make. What Jesus is is saying there is that are you saying that I'm God? Is that what you? And, and so, but but the thing is, with I'm a good person, we're not acknowledging. You know, that God's goodness is in us. And that's what makes us good. Right. It's not right because we're all sinners in need of God's mercy and the Eucharist and receiving the Eucharist. And again, beautiful point that it remits venial sin. You know, that people yeah. sometimes forget that, that venial sin is remitted when we say the confidior at mass or and when we receive the Eucharist. So there's several opportunities for venial grace, but it helps us to strengthen us to avoid more serious sin. And that's key. That's absolutely key. So it's not about you being good. It's about allowing yourself and being humble enough to allow God's goodness to work in you. That's what makes you a good person, not you deciding that you're a good person. Because yeah. atheists can be good people. You, right. may, you know. Right. So, so what difference is, I mean, you just put your same category with everybody else, but Jesus is taking us to a whole nother level here. You know, and there's an aspect too of, when we when we deprive ourselves of the Eucharist, when we don't go to Mass, when we don't receive Holy Communion, we actually are depriving ourselves of this gift of grace, which does strengthen us. And it begins to snowball, to be honest. You know, those venial sins aren't what's killing your the divine life within you. It's not what's preventing you from going to heaven. But when you don't receive the help of the Eucharist, that ongoing help, that nourishment, and that medicine, you actually tend to grow weaker. And that's when you then begin to go down the road that where mortal sin becomes easier and easier to to work towards, you know, and that's where, again, it's our pride or it's, you know, it's like, oh, I can do this on my own. It's that Pelagian error named after Pelagius, who was a, a, a theologian that St. Augustine wrote against primarily in the, in the 400s, in the fifth century. And this term Pelagian, you know, we've lost kind of the handle of it unless we work in theology all the time. But just again, that concept that we forget our own constant need for grace and we begin to think we can do it on our own. We can be good people on our own. This is the great error of, you know, the world around us too, right? It's not recognizing that it that the world that we live in is broken, but that we have the gift of a savior to heal the world. That's when we think, oh, we can do it just fine on our own, we can reach a secular utopia, um, it can't happen. It, it, it's simply not going to work. Look around you. Things aren't getting constantly better without the application of true charity and grace that God has bestowed on us in Christ. The beautiful part is we as Christians know the war is over. We already know who wins. It's we're in the cleanup of the battle right now. We're waiting for the second coming, the culmination of all things in Christ. That's salvation when it's finally apparent to everyone and there will be no question. That's when you don't need something like faith, right? That's when yeah, exactly. the hope is fulfilled and the faith is no longer the same. It's, it's not faith as we think of it, but charity will still reign. As St. Paul says, in the end, faith, hope and love and the greatest of these is love. Now, you know, let me see if this analogy works, because 
I mean, my gift is not really talking to little kids, but every once in a while I'll go and they want me to talk to the little ones, you know, kindergarten, first grade. <laughs> they're, all, yeah. they're, they're so cute. But, you know, I mean, the, the, the things that I uh, that's not my gift. I mean, you know, but 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 I when I try to explain this concept to them, you know, and I try to now that I live in the Pacific Northwest. I try to use the river analogy. So when you're in relation with God, it's like you're rafting down the river, you know, you're just being carried by the, the current. And you're and you're having a great time. You're going along. You're with, and sometimes it gets rough, right? You got those rapids, right? I'm probably going to yep. use the wrong term at some point here, but you have these rapids. You know, you're navigating the rapids, and it's a little rough, a little scary, but you're still moving down the river. Venielson would be like, if you're you're still going down the river, but you get kind of moved over. Like sometimes it, you go over to the side near the shore, mm-hmm. and and you say, wait a minute, I have to I have to paddle my way back into the River, you get you get out of the current, so you're still moving, but you're not moving totally with the current. You have to you're, you're drifting off to the, toward the shore. I'm not what's what that's called that part of the river. The bank, the yeah, yeah the you're heading the toward the bank. Yeah, so you're still in the river. You're still moving, but you're not in the current. That's like Venus. And so the Eucharist, as we're talking about it in the in the document from the bishops, kind of like that divine push that pushes you from heading toward the shore, still moving down the river, but you, now you're back in the current again. Mortal sin would be like, there's a tributary coming in from the side of the river and you paddle, you go down this other tributary that's feeding into the river. So you're, you're hey, I, I'm going down here. You're not in the river anymore. You're not right. in the current anymore. You're, and the whole time you're saying, I'm a good person. Look at me. I'm good. <laughs> and, and so look, I, I, you know, just God wants me to be good. No, God wants you to go down the current. He wants you to go down the river. But now you're going on this other tributary that's that's moving completely away from the river, saying the whole time, "I'm good, I'm good, I'm good." <laughs> so, but you're 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 but you're it's circular thinking. You go, I'm, "I'm going down here because God. I'm just a good person because God. God just loves everybody. Just just be good." But you're not down the river. <laughs> you see what right, I'm right, no, right. And and I think I think people miss that point. God wants us to be with Him even in the rough times. And of course, in the good times, but it's the Eucharist that strengthens us to keep us going down that river. Because where's our ultimate end? It spills out into an ocean, which is heaven. You know, yeah. this vast expanse. You know, when I was on the cruise, one thing I just, I mean, I literally marveled at the fact that the day that we were at sea, you look out, there's nothing but ocean. You go to sleep, you wake up six, seven hours later, you look out, nothing but ocean. You're sailing all day, nothing but ocean. I'm like, Man, the ocean is big. I mean, it just, it just like you're, we're going for 10, 12, 15, 18 hours and not see a piece of land. You're wow. like, man, you know, and I, I thought about some, there is the sea vast and wide, but it's moving swarms past counting and all the things I'm thinking that are living underneath, you know, I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the experience of this, this Eucharist experience. That's the expanse of heaven, this limitless access to God's love. And the way we get there is by staying the course and not going off to the side. You know, so that's the kind of way I explain it to, to kids. Wow. Relying on the divine boatman, the divine raft guide. <laughs> and that's the angels, right? The angels are helping us in the boat. There They're you go. Trying to give us guidance and direction. And sometimes we ignore them. We go down to tributary. And yeah. thanks be to God, he gave us uh, the sacrament of reconciliation. Absolutely. Which Amen to that. brings us into deeper intimacy with the Eucharist because we... You know, God can't do anything us we're in mortal sin. 
Absolutely. Well, and that's where this continues on then with paragraph 46. There are some sins, however, the bishops write, that do rupture the communion we share with God and the church, and that cause grave offense to human dignity. And these are referred to as grave or mortal sins. We know, and we've talked about this before, you know, in order to commit a mortal sin, you have to, uh, it takes kind of the aspect of you have to understand what you're doing. It has to be something serious, uh, having serious matter, and we have to freely and willfully choose to do so. So full uh, grave matter, sufficient reflection, full consent of the will. That's what it takes to commit a mortal sin. Uh, an easy way to think about grave matter is, is it violating one of the Ten Commandments? Like, is there something in the Ten Commandments that says, don't do this, and I'm going to do it, and I choose to do it, and I know I'm doing it? Then you're on the road to mortal sin, my friend. Don't do that. Um, these mortal sins are that which break our communion. Again, they break communion with God, and they break communion with the body of Christ. And in that word communion, when it's broken— the church says you can't receive Holy Communion. And so in paragraph 47, one is not to celebrate Mass, so that's for our priests and our bishops to read. One is not to celebrate Mass or to receive Holy Communion. That's where most of us lay people come in. In the state of mortal sin, without having sought the sacrament of reconciliation, as you said, Deacon, and received absolution. So you need to confess your sins and receive absolution in order to be restored to communion with God, with the church, and to be able to receive Holy Communion. See, that word communion is doing a lot of work there because it represents so much. It represents togetherness. And if we are not together with God, with the body of Christ, we cannot perform that outward symbol of our—and that outward sign, efficacious sign, the sacrament of Holy Communion as well. Precisely. And why is that the case? Well, it says um, the next sentence in 47 there, a person who receives Holy Communion while in a state of mortal sin, not only does not receive the grace that the sacrament conveys, he commits the sin of sacrilege by failing to show the reverence due to the sacred body and blood of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul has serious implications because that's why some of you are sick and ill and some have died for not receiving Christ yeah. worthily in that sacrament. So there's some serious implications to this. I mean, think about that. That is an actual, you know, we doctors would refer to it as a psychosomatic response to something, right? You're in a state of mortal sin. You receive Holy Communion. You get sick. You die. This is what St. Paul was writing about to the Corinthians. And this is an external, visible sign of what is happening to your soul when you're in the state of mortal sin. You are sick. You are on the road to death. And this is eternal death, is what we're talking about in mortal sin. We're not talking about just laying down and not waking up. We're talking about your soul being in danger of destruction. And that's what St. Paul warns about. And that's what our bishops, who are the successors to St. Paul and all the apostles, are warning us about here, too, and reminding us and recalling us that mortal sin is that which kills the soul. And it can be, thanks be to God, forgiven through the sacrament of reconciliation. And then we can be strengthened to avoid it in future by continuing to rely upon the graces received in the Eucharist. That's what this entire document is all about, to be honest. And 
it this speaks again in this paragraph not only to just us the lay people who receive communion but even to the bishops and priests who celebrate mass they too need to be conscious of the great importance of being in a state of grace when they celebrate the sacraments as well yeah and this is a, another one of those sections ken um that you talked about the last time that the people were uh you know talking about this document with regard to politicians, you know, yeah. um, you know, why, why do bishops seem to allow um, these politicians that are, that we presume to be in a state of, of mortal sin? I mean, look, you look at the positions that they take on abortion or, or, or other issues, life related issues, and by their public way they vote and, and, and stuff, you know, obviously, I mean, it's, it seems to people to be scandalous, but but on the flip side, I mean, you don't know the state of someone's soul, you know, um, you know, and I know bishops often work behind the scenes to talk with some of their because um, they're members of the flock. You right. know, they're, they're right. like the, the sheep that have wandered away and the shepherds trying to corral them, you know. And, and so I know they sometimes work behind the scenes and, uh, you know, and I hear people say, well, it's a special place in hell for that for this politician, that politician. Well, you know, um, Again, you, you you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, and so, um, you know. But but it is, at least outwardly, scandalous. <laughs> I mean, to, yeah, to know that yeah. that that bishops are are giving communion to people that publicly have not recanted um, their positions on on these things, but yet someone that's divorced and remarried, you know, are you know they can't receive, but yet this politician can receive. You know, I, you know that kind of thing. So I mean, it right. really. You know, th- that's really not the focus of what they're doing here. They're just making a general statement that all of us really need to work on keeping intimacy with the Lord in, in the way that we live. Absolutely. And they, they wrap this up by saying, to receive the body and blood of Christ while in a state of mortal sin represents a contradiction. The person who by his or her own action has broken communion with Christ and his church, but receives the blessed sacrament, acts incoherently both claiming and rejecting communion at the same time. It is thus a countersign, as they say. It's a lie. It expresses a communion that, in fact, has been broken. And that's really the meat of this uh, section on conversion. Because, again, the bishops are calling us to conversion. They're calling us to reform our lives that we might not be a countersign, but that when we receive Holy Communion, it be an act that is an expression of the true communion that we share in Christ, in in the church, uh, as believers who are grateful for the great gift of salvation that Christ has, has given us, and of which that main sign is the Eucharist itself. Yes, amen. Well, Deacon, we have reached the end of our conversation for now. Our time, as usual, has gone quickly and yet fruitfully. Uh, We invite you to connect with us on our Facebook page or at Living Stones Media. Just type that into your search bar. You can also download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. But, uh, Deacon, until we gather next week to pick up the conversation and wrap up this wonderful document, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. 
Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.